Hi, and welcome to Video Drone. My name's Fraser. And my name's Craig. And this is our Mad Max special part two, in which we'll cover Mad Max 2, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and Fury Road. on to Mad Max 2 mm-hmm. or the Road Warrior if you're American and um, this one finds us with uh, Mad Max wandering the wasteland and he comes across a small oil producing compound which happens to be under siege by mohawked bikers and punks led by mm-hmm. the Lord Humongous <laughs> um, and with the help of a gyro captain the little fellow on those crazy little um, aircraft thing gyrocopter yeah (laughs) he agrees to help them escape with the precious commodity of of the oil which is basically petrol that's a that's what everybody's after is petrol and it's kind of almost become like a bartering system like it's become like currency really in the future it is Uh uh-huh because money no longer has any meaning so i mean this film set well we don't know how much further down the line it is but it's society's crumbled a lot more very much so yeah events of mad max i mean in mad max we saw things like uh, shops and garages and in a law system uh-huh. and lawyers even yeah but uh that's all gone now it's just everyone's fending for themselves pretty it's much. definitely much after the apocalypse because yeah. even the, the lead baddie the lord humongous seems to be sort of like flash burned or something yeah he's got like hardly any hair on the back of his yeah and um there's just the the way the world looks it looks worse you know there's there's just everything's kind of sandblasted and day and there's not there's you no know, people have nothing it's yeah it's definitely coming from the from the George Lucas Star Wars version of dirty sort of mm, yeah sort, like of, sort of Tatooine landscape yeah uh-huh. well no it's just like everything looks used yeah, very oh, used yeah. yeah I see what you mean yeah uh-huh. like the fact that in the original ones things look like they've been lived in yeah definitely it's got good continuity the film because um, Max's leg's still in bad shape after the events of it the is he's got movie. like a brace on it hasn't mm. he yeah and he looks a lot more world weary and worn bit of grey hair and that isn't yeah, it yeah he's, he's definitely grizzled although it was only shot like one or two years after the original mm-hmm. was shot he does look a lot older and it's like we say it's not it's, it's not clear how much time has passed his interceptor's a bit worse for wear as well it is the, he's still got the, the iconic black car mm-hmm. that he has at the end of uh, Mad Max yeah. and he's got a dog in tow as well which is... yeah oh, the dog's great it doesn't <laughs> even have a name it's just called dog but it's class <laughs> I want one <laughs> but it I mean is... move, moving on we did say that Mad Max was like pretty hyper and this mm. just amps it up to 11. It really does. And the the intro, we should talk about the intro a little bit. It perfectly sets up the film if you haven't seen the original Mad Max. Yeah. Um, and it kind of shows you events from the first movie, um, like a small clip show with a kind of uh, dirty grey-brown hue. Yeah. Like with a mist or like a filtery thing over it, like re- recapping. Uh-huh. And also talks about how the world's gotten worse since. Um, <laughs> well, how man's yeah. brought it down to its knees. Oh, yeah. yeah. And one of the characters of the movie narrates the story, mm-hmm. um, and we get like to see, you know, things through his eyes and what he thought, what he thought about Max. So during that, during this intro, we also get a, um, a few shots that look like they belong in the first film, which weren't actually in the first film. Yeah. So we were thinking, well, they're just cuts, Possibly. edits from the first film, or that maybe they reused, or manufacture them to look like they were yeah. meant to be put there. It, it it does work so yeah we were wondering if it was just deleted, deleted footage that they added in um, 
Yeah. And in so the that's... intro, um, just just coming on a different point, is he's he's described as a burnt out shell of a man. Uh huh. And although he's definitely worse for wear, and he's he's he has lost some of his humanity, uh-huh. and he has to be kind of convinced by the the group to sort of um to to do the task that he's 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 charged with doing. Uh huh. He's not exactly a burnt out shell of a man, really. Well, he does. He does have a few smiles. Yeah, he does. And <laughs> he, you know, he, he shares. He, there's a scene with um, with the feral kid, who's like a recurring character throughout the film, mm-hmm. where he throws him a music box mechanism. Yeah, that he's kind of amusing. A little hurdy gurdy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he so he's not he's not completely. Uh, you know, it's, it's not it's not. That's um, the second time he smiles in the film. Three, <laughs> time, three times Max smiles in the film. Mel, Mel Gibson <laughs> smiles in the film. At the start, in the middle, and at the end. <laughs> so yeah, he's pretty knackered, but he's 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 got there's a chance of redemption by the end. Exactly. Yeah. He's you know he's he's in no way painted as an anti-hero, I wouldn't say. No, he's not. He's not not an anti-hero. He's 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 a he's a man with no name. But he exactly, he's you know he, that that sort of character archetype of the lone hero wandering the wasteland, mm-hmm. and probably a lot of you know people who've grown up since the eighties. That's probably the catalyst for a lot of the characters that they they love and maybe. Things that have come since. Definitely, know. I mean, you know, you think of, of characters like the Man with No Name and and uh, Zatoichi and people like that. Yeah, you know? I mean, people like that always have a foil, and in mm-hmm. this one, it's it's the gyro captain, which is probably the second most famous gyrocopter in the movies after the James Bond one, Little mm-hmm. Nelly. Um, so yeah, he's he's sort of like optimistic, and uh, Bruce Spence plays the the, the gyro captain, and he, he tries to steal as many scenes as he can, but mm-hmm. he's he's great. He's just a big tall lanky fellow he's mm-hmm. like something off an anime yeah it's like you know the sort of the crazy <laughs> coloured sort of trousers he's I, know, wearing. I know what you, you know mean, what yeah. I mean yeah if you, if you say it you, you, you'll you'll get what I'm saying but uh, but getting back to the action there is a bit sort of in the first film there is a bit sort of undercranked speeded up yeah. uh, action there's a little bit in this but god what they do with cars and this is just nobody's business mm. it's absolutely ridiculous it really is and how again we're talking about this in the Review of Mad Max One, but God, how nobody got hurt making it. God yeah, knows. obviously the stuntmen were pretty top notch. <laughs> I mean, well, it's really weird because I remember when I watched this film again and got got a hold of the the sort of the latest or the last Blu-rays that came out. I know there's going to be starting the new ones again on the mm-hmm. back of the new film. I think Mad Max is uh, scheduled for a release in America. Yeah, but uh, I was watching the credits at the end and I was expecting to see, you know, like you see in Hollywood movies, a big list of stuntmen. There was about five or six, mm. and that's it. Yeah. And then so, but if the amount of cars on the roads, so they must have had everybody just driving stuff. Exactly, and, and the pyrotechnics as well. I mean, that explosion yeah. where you can see all the debris flying in there. Oh, and the, the yeah, I won't yeah. say what that is, but yeah, that's that's yeah, that's a massive, ex- that's a proper big explosion. That. <laughs> it really is. You get um, a lot of coverage out of that. <laughs> they, they do. Um, the humongous is a fantastic bad guy with some unusual dialogue. Yes, um, he's a, he's <laughs> Swedish or something sounding, isn't yeah, he? Or his natives, the actors. This kind of hulking muscular guy with like a hockey mask with like as we said a sort of flash burned head with hardly any hair. Hockey mask that predates Jason. Indeed. Um, and I've got to mention my favourite line you disobey me you puppy. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a thing for dog metaphors as well. He called, keeps on talking about unleashing his dogs of war his henchmen uh-huh. and sometimes he even keeps Wes his main henchman on leash. Yeah. Oh yeah, he does. And literally he does. unleashes him towards the end of the film. You got to talk about Wes. He's a great character. Oh, fantastic. Well, yes, we can't uh, talk about talk about Mad Max two without talking about Vernon Crazy Face Wells. Yeah, he's got the Mohawk, <laughs> hasn't he? He's got the he's Chief Mohawk, basically. Indeed, he he pretty much reprised his role in this film in Weird Science in a cameo. Yeah, he did. Weirdly, yeah. yeah. Um, he seems to be like, the replacement for Hugh Keys Burn in this film mm-hmm. in terms of the scenery chewing. Though, yeah. Hugh Monks is more of a threatening. 
kind of overlord, but we'd already see his face because he's got the mask on. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, but uh, Vernon Wells is always entertaining in films, isn't oh, he? Yeah. He <laughs> likes getting his body this. out as well. There's a lot of assless chaps in this in this film. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> we, we, we were talking about this before, is that even though the, all the, the henchmen are more threatening in this, uh-huh. much more so than the first film, um, and they, they get a much higher body count because there's a lot more characters in this film. Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Wes is definitely more threatening. He does lose a few points for having his bum on display throughout yeah, the whole film. Yeah, I know, I know. It scores, scores, scores high on the campometer. Oh, very, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's it's good stuff. But yeah, it's just nuts. The the sort of uh, villains in the in the film, you know, like the humongous and his men, they seem to have become a kind of uh, character archetype for lots of other post-apocalyptic movies and uh, even like games and things. Yeah. When you think of um, the way they look, um, you know, with, with the sort of uh, get-up that they've got with the mohawks and shoulder pads and things mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Um, it's a stereotype fact, now, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, they, you even see character, you even see, like, if, I've seen a few films where they've had like a post-apocalyptic theme where they've got the same crossbows wears on his arm. Yeah, um, crossbows were very early eighties, like exactly. Yeah. And all of the the, um, the recent uh, computer game series, Borderlands, all of the psychopath enemies have like a, a muscular frame and a hockey mask, like the humans. Yeah, uh-huh. and the then they all have like sort of really kind of storied infused voices that sound like the humans when he's talking in there. Yeah, so it's it's had a huge influence. All of the the kind of wire the bare framed vehicles with no armor on them and stuff uh-huh. like. That, like you know, just the kind of like the gyro captain's copter. Yeah. Uh, where it's got no body, it's just the poles and metal. What's left of it? Yeah. Yeah, that that sort of stuff. All the whole look of the film, you know, it's just it's kind of been like um, what's the word? Well, it did kick off a whole subgenre. Oh like, yeah. Because all the Italian films all that the came out. Films yeah, you name off. them. I Absolutely, mean, between yeah. what between Mad Max two, the Warriors, and Escape from New York, you, you, there's the whole dozens, subgenre. Yeah, there's dozens exploded. of films. Yeah. Yeah, Don't get us started because I love them all. <laughs> well, most of them anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's again like the first film. It's a, it's fantastically paced. You know, there's mm-hmm. no room to get bored in it. It just zooms along. Um, did you notice the camels? The camels. I've no, never noticed not. camels in this film, but I there's camels not. in this film. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> I just thought I'd drop that one in just to throw you. <laughs> it did. It did throw me. I, I, had, I hadn't any idea. Yeah, I mean, because the, the dog's brilliant in it. There's this yeah. little dog, and it's uh, Max's little friend. Who well, looks, looks after Max? Yeah, we should mention the scene where the dog's um, given the trap to hold. Oh, when the, well, yeah, when you first encounter the gyro captain, <laughs> the sort of um, Max he, is forcing him to to do stuff for him to to prove the existence of the oil field. Yeah, because that's uh, he's going to kill him, but he says no, I can get your oil and that. Yeah, so so, so, so the driving be, towards this truth. sort of um, little uh, camp where where, where 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 it's been sort of it's like it's like mm. cowboys and Indians, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost like the corralled into this little sort of where this uh, gas pump is, but th- there was this scene where the, the gyro captain's tied up in in Max's car, um, even to the point of having his head tied to the seat, but the dog's sitting in front of him with a bone in its teeth, which is connected to uh, the shotgun. a shotgun that's pointed at the gyro <laughs> captain's face, and every time the dog sees a rabbit, its head starts twitching, and it's brilliant. It's just. <laughs> A great little dog. You must have trained that dog quite well. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very cute. When was the last time you watched the film? I am, um, you know, I'm not entirely sure. It would have been, I think, the early two thousands, probably. Yeah. So we're talking over ten years. Yeah, it's been a while since yeah. I watched it all the way through. And like, and I said, Mad Max, I'd seen a couple of times in the last ten years. Yeah. And I actually own the original Mad Max, whereas I don't own Two and Beyond Thunderdome. No, you're, you're busy nicking them up. off me, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone do these reviews. <laughs> For this review, yeah. Great way to get Should back into them. Should we talk a little bit about Mel Gibson's decline? No. <laughs> 
are. That's a whole other podcast, isn't <laughs> it? It is. But, but um, I mean, it just shows you then, like, you know, your star was on the ascendant. It was like, mm. not that, but then again, I mean, if you think what he made immediately after films like uh, The River and The Year of Living Dangerously, mm. they weren't sort of like, yeah. not really our fair, well, talking about yeah. genre films weren't our fair. Good films in their own right, but. I mean, I was sitting there watching this and um, and uh, Lindsay was 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 watching it too and, and she, she turned to us and she said, you know what, Mel Gibson was really cool back then. Oh, he was, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he really was. But, um, Recent uh, events with his sort of anti-Semitism and slagging off uh, female police officers and all sorts of things. Oh, he's <laughs> oh, he's oh, just a, on to female police he's, officers. He's just a bit of a boy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let him off. I'll forgive him anything from the Mad Max films. So. But they are fantastic films, and I and I was really really glad that um, watching this again um, re- recalled just as many fond memories as watching the original one because it is a, a really classic series. Yeah. I mean, um, we'll we'll get out to Beyond Thunderdome very soon, and and did that. Although it has its problems, it's still, in my view, a pretty good film. But we'll talk about that one soon. Anyway. I haven't seen it since since it came out. I Again, didn't even bother going to see it. At the, the time we're doing this review, I haven't yet uh, rewatched it, and I'm no. looking forward to that to see how it stacks up. I reckon it's, it's even m- though it's the much maligned one out of the three, it's still got its strong points, and yeah. I'm quite looking forward to reviewing uh, it's it. Again. Over twenty years since I've seen it, so mm. it's going to be. I'll probably be a lot, lot softer on it than I was back in yeah. the day. So we'll see. So that was Mad Max 2, which uh, I failed to mention that it came out, I think it was late 81 in Australia and probably came out around the world, uh, 81, 82. And so, a few years later, 1985, we'll move on to Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So go on, Craig, give us the spiel on this one. All right, well, a bit of a plot summary for you. Um, after having his stuff stolen, Max pursues the thief to the trading community of Bartertown. Soon he's involved in a power struggle between the two driving forces of the town. We'll take it from there. Right? Yeah, I think that basically sums it up. Yeah. Um, according to Miller himself, Mad Max 2 was set five years after the original film. Right. And this one is set 15 years after. But Bollocks. That, imme- <laughs> <laughs> but that immediately creates a big problem because, yeah. Mike, because Max doesn't look anywhere near that much older. No, no. <laughs> um, five years between one and two seems about right to me. Plausible, yeah. We plausible. talked about the fact that the Interceptor's a bit more beaten up. He looks a bit more world-weary. He's got a bit of grey hair. Yeah. Big end of this one, he's got really long, scraggly hair, but that does not make him look <laughs> anywhere near older. No. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, we can, I suppose you can give, forgive this sort of thing of the movies, really. <laughs> but it, yeah. It's a, str- it's a strange one, because at the start of the film... Um, Max has a sort of like a well not a horse and cart a camel and cart yeah we discussed that's what, the appearance that, of camels in the last one yeah which, exactly and totally camels the making appearance again <laughs> um, and he has his stuff stolen or uh, hijacked hijacked yeah hijacked by what you think is uh, the gyro captain except it ain't the gyro captain it's the same actor but it's not the yeah, same character exactly now there's a lot of uh, discussion about this by many fans but I don't believe it to be the same character neither do you no we, I mean the, the character is credited as Jebediah the pilot uh-huh. um, and the gyro captain um, never was has never a name. named no but that's not what we're going to focus on it's the fact that there's no acknowledgement between the two of them having previously met yeah and also the fact that the if that was the gyro captain, his behaviour would be pretty shabby considering the events of Mad Max 2, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that he let him live and they did kind of, not necessarily become like best best buddies, but they did sort of become kind of comrades by the end of the film, really. Uh-huh. 
Although they started off on the wrong foot with the uh, dog shotgun trap, which you yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the film sort of starts and ends with um, the sort of influence of Jebediah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sort of what the film's most infamous for, really, I suppose, is Tina Turner. Indeed. And she's on all the over the artwork, um, which seems like a sort of Drew Struzman sort of poster, isn't it? Yeah, it is absolutely. Um, the the beginning of the film is quite jarring compared to previous entries, really, mm-hmm. because immediately. There's a Tina Turner song on the soundtrack. Now, we haven't been used to any sort of soundtrack songs at all in the series previously, just score, really. Yeah. And so when you you met with a song immediately on the credits, it's an early indication that we're dealing with a much more studio-orientated film. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. definitely studio-influenced. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what we should say as well, um, it's, <laughs> it's not even directed fully by um, George Miller. It's mm. directed by George Miller and George Ogilvie. Don't know who he is, but mm. uh, I mean, you can definitely see tell the, the George Miller shots and some of the action scenes. Indeed, and we do get uh, a more Mad Max one and two orientated action scene close to the finale, which is much more in line with what we've been used to. Yeah, but that's much later, and we'll discuss that in a while. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, it's it's very jarring to see Bruce Spence playing a different character because I think there's more than enough evidence in the film to suggest that the that it isn't the Jarrocan. But there seems to be a lot of people who still. Oh, you can guarantee. Yeah, early early <laughs> editions uh, drafts of the script. It would mm. have been the gyro. I cap. think so. And I can see where people are coming from. I can as well. With, with, it uh, does, he's, he's it does seem tool. odd that they would make him another pilot character. Yeah. But you know. Yeah. It's uh, there's not really a lot of information out there about the genesis of, of the film that I can find really. So, but it would be interesting to know about that. I mean, one thing we, we, we can say this time, and it's it, well, it does get a mention at the end of the film, is that uh, in the intervening years from between Mad Max Two and Mad Max Three, uh, the producer of the first two films, Byron Kennedy, had passed away. He had, yes. And I think you'd said you'd read an article. That's right. Um, I can't remember which magazine it was in, but it was, there was like a transcript of it online. Like, and he basically, um, George Miller himself had said, had Byron still been alive, this would have been quite a different film. Yeah. Um, there's actually like a message, a sort of tribute to him at the end. Isn't it just it? says for Byron. For, yeah. for Byron. But um, certainly, I feel it may have been more in line with the previous ones. He seems to have actually been quite a big, I'd say a driving force. It sounds yeah, like a big influence. <laughs> a big influence on the, on the series as a whole. I mean, uh, George Miller's uh, stamp is definitely all over the film, but it seems like they were very much a team. And when that team was split up, maybe it started to, you know... Well, you know, like, like we said before, it, a it's a studio film. Yeah. It's toned down. I said, mm-hmm. the first thing I said to you, I said, I bet this was a PG-13 in well, America. And it was. And it was, and I'm sure yeah. I'm, certainly the first two will have been R-rated. That's right, they were. And uh, on VHS over here, it's always been a 15, strangely. Yeah. But a lot of those films from that era, there like, were 15s on video over here, were PG-13s in America. Yes, like, yeah. Things like Gremlins and The Lost Boys and stuff like because, that. Because, you know? well, we didn't have a 12 well, yeah, or a 12 a 12 now. It wasn't until yeah. Batman that we got 12, was it 1989? Yeah. And I suppose um, even when the... They probably wouldn't bother getting this reclassified for, for no, subsequent releases. I think uh, when, releases. when they've done the subsequent DVD and Blu ray releases, they've just used the same certification and they've not bothered, you know? Yeah. Because there's no real proper violence in the movie in terms of like. That's a little, tiny little bit of blood, but there's. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing substantial. No. Um, so going on to the uh, to Max's adventures in Bartertown and the Thunderdome then. Uh huh. So. It, Immediately, we know it's a much more slick and more sort of studio oriented film, but this doesn't work in Mad Max's favour at all, really, does it? No. 
I mean, the previous films were so sparse on dialogue. Yeah. And yeah, this is a proper talkie, isn't it? You know, it's got dialogue all the way through. Well, to me, I was, and Max's character, Max's is much character, more vocal. Yeah, and, and to me, it's, it's sort of. I'm sure he must have been reading the script uh, for *Lethal Weapon* one at a time because he's. <laughs> it seems a bit more cocky in compared to like *Mad Max* yeah. two. He barely he's smiles. He's portrayed as and... more of a badass in this one, isn't he? I mean, this the, the he's kind of in a in a like more Hollywoodish way than yeah, he's, yeah, like a more typical kind of action movie action hero where like sort of you know he's got the sort of swagger and he's kind of so sure of himself and there's quite a few jokey scenes where he's like pulling the gun on the residents of Barter Town and letting them know that he's not about to be pushed about yeah I mean there's the scene where he goes and um, they say like oh you've got to leave your weapons here at this checkpoint and he just gets out like weapon gun after, after weapon gun, after yeah. weapon and he just keeps on going like a naked gun joke <laughs> it, it, well it is yeah I mean th- there are quite a few humorous bits in this film but it's it's just sort of not as not the same sort of humor in Mad Max no. Two, which is quite sort of black. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the um, the sort of guy getting his uh, fingers chopped off by the feral kid. And exactly. Killing themselves laughing about it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and then the film split into two halves. I mean, in the synopsis uh, that, that Craig summarised, there he ends up in Barter Town and then um, becomes a sort of um, pawn. Pawn. Yeah. In a like power struggle between. Power... Teen, the end of the yeah this, Tina Turner's character and Master Blaster, who's basically like a kind of um, well, like there are actually two characters. Yeah, Master is the smart little dwarf guy who controls the muscle, which is Blaster, the sort of Culkin sort of uh, man child. Well, he's character. almost like he's almost like the size of the humongous in, yeah. in Mad Max too. With, yeah, with he's, a little... he's kind of like a bit of a man child, isn't he? He's yeah, like, oh, he's not quite all there. And um, well, you don't find that out until you don't, a crucial moment. A crucial thing. moment when yeah. Max is. Well, basically meant to kill him which he doesn't which he refuses to do and then if following that he gets exiled um, and that's when he ends up in Lord of the Flies territory indeed we'll get there oh. in a little while actually because <laughs> I need to re- rewind a little bit and talk about um, the Thunderdome yeah alright yeah because so the... Uh, the thing is although the Thunderdome is like you know the sort of the kind of big spectacle of Barter Town, and it's like you know it's like this kind of Saturday night entertainment they get two gladiators in the ring so it's a big um, gladiatorial yeah, arena. It's, that's, it's that's, that's what Thunderdome is. Ancient yeah. Rome, um, and and the entity wants Max to kill Blaster, who is essentially is Master's muscle, who will be helpless without. Yep. So that she can, you know, sort take of, over uh, the town because Master Blaster, they sort of run the town because mm-hmm. they've got the they they keep the electricity going. They've got this big sort of industrial sort of yeah. pig farm that, that, that basically the town's run on pig shit. It is. Um, you get the methane from the pig shit and that makes the gas that drives the vehicles and so on. Yeah. Um, Although without, actually, what the entity does, I don't know. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> She's basically just like kind of... She, I think it's just... She just sits, sits, her, sits on top of the tower, so to speak. Yeah, she, so. I think she just describes her as like a spokesperson kind of voice of the people. Sort yeah. Of thing. But there's not really a lot of backstory given to her apart no. from she's kind of like the... He's the ruler of industry, and she's the kind of the figurehead. I suppose you'd say the politician. I the suppose. Po- yeah, I suppose yeah. the politician. Yeah, that's a good but, way to put it, actually. So when we get to um, Thunderdome, there's this scene where they're sort of made to fight, but they're on these kind of bungee rope things. Yeah. And while like it makes for a kind of interesting movie spectacle, it's just so not Mad Max, is it? It's no, like, it doesn't it's not. really feel like the combat of the previous films, which was just mainly vehicle based. It's quite, you know, in terms of like the way it's sort of staged and that, it's quite good, but it just doesn't fit. Yeah, with this with this film, it's weird this because with this series, sorry. When, 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 when you think George Miller sort of kicked off the whole um, sort of vehicular post- carnage, yeah, genre. Well, and the <laughs> post-apocalypse genre as well. Uh-huh. This is like, all oh, right, let's watch that Wild Boys video by Duran Duran. 
um, we'll just uh, it's just wrong <laughs> it's yeah. just wrong because obviously we okay. we got to a little we got to the point now where we talked about the fact that he gets exiled and then he meets this tribe of kids yeah uh-huh do you want to talk about that a little bit? Or? Yeah, um, yeah, we can do. So, I mean, like when I was sort of genning up online a bit, and that, and some people sort of compare it to the sort of the Peter Pan kids, mm, the uh, Lost Boys, the Lost Boys. Yeah, but I mean, straight away when I saw about the plane crash and things like that, and I remember reading Lord of the Flies at school, and it mm-hmm. sort of reminds us a bit more of that. So there's this little tribe of kids mm-hmm. who seem to have been abandoned by the adults who've all gone to seek help. Yeah, um, created their own society. And they create their own society, and they've got this sort of broken, sort of pigeon English almost way mm-hmm. of talking. Yeah, um, it's part like Aussie and part kind of made up words. Yeah, so. and they're waiting for the adults to come back, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of sketchy anyway because there's skulls and things lying about. It's mm-hmm. dead, dead weird. Um, and but then they've got like a sort of in in addition to their own society, there's like a sort of prophecy come religion. That, that, some... that they have created for themselves. Yeah. And I quite like that aspect of the film. Mm. I quite like the sort of, you know, the mythology aspect of the fact we get to stuff about the sort of bomb going off and things like that. Uh-huh. But, again, maybe if they'd had all their own film about that, but it, it just seems sort of, it's split so down the middle with the Bartertown stuff and then this. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people get really turned off by, this, by the sort of whole storyline with the kids. I think it's, in some ways it's well done, but it just doesn't feel... Like what's come before, and it's, that's well exactly what it's, it's exactly because as soon as you stop, although there's a kid in the second, second film, but it's you put kids in this film because it's because it's, it's a PG thirteen exactly. rated. It's, and the Warner Brothers studio film, and yeah. you know get uh, get kids on board and sort of make them spend the money, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and not not much has changed. So what happened of twelve A and stuff? <laughs> what happens then is Max turns around and says, "Look." You're not going back to sort of what's it tomorrow Tomorrowland or something. That's what they refer yeah. to as Tomorrow Tomorrowland, which is basically sort of like the cities, our sort of future society, I guess. Yeah, um, and then and Max, just our turned. current society, which is their past society, which yeah. is gone. So Max <laughs> says, "Just stay put. You're better off here." But there's a little sort of breakout band that doesn't believe him, and then um, they mm. head off. It's basically towards Barter Town, and then he Max does try has to... to convince them that that world is gone, yeah, and that that's the world that I came from, but it's finished with now. And they exactly. don't, not everyone sort of believes in what mm-hmm. you're saying. So, a little breakaway band heads off towards um Barter Town, and then that all sort of Max and a little, another little group sort of chase after them, mm-hmm. and then that sort of basically leads to the sort of final fight, as it were, yeah, which um, is a bit more in line with what we've been used to, I guess, yeah, more vehicular carnage. It is, but it, <laughs> in some sense, though, it is a bit of a rehash of mm, Mad, Max this Mad Max 2, yeah, yeah. except it's in, even in, some similar crashes and instead, stuff, instead of being in, a, in a, a, a tanker this time, he's on a train of all things, yeah, it's sort of train car hybrid, yeah, really, which is pretty cool, but uh, and it does, it does kind of recall um elements of the second film but it's it sort of feels a bit little too little too late at this point doesn't it's it? it's a short chase and it's just mm. nowhere near as, as as exciting as mad masks too yeah. and, and it's just why the whole film's just such a letdown i know the interceptors miss, missed quite a bit in this yeah film, i think and the dog <laughs> yeah and the dog yeah well he's got a monkey in this one hasn't he yeah that's it, it's the about. um it's the sort of uh character uh pig killers uh monkey isn't it yeah and he, and he ends up like uh sending the monkey to help him when he's exiled uh-huh and then he the monkey helps him well kind of helps him i suppose get free oh, i forgot um, about that bit yeah the monkey yeah. helps him saves him with the water 
Oh. Which is, you wouldn't happen in Mad Max 1 and 2, would it? I the monkey would probably get a crossbow in the head in the first the, two movies. The, the monkey would have been eaten. <laughs> yeah. For the, for the fate of the poor dog in 2 still troubles me, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Dog yeah. lover. But, um, um, <laughs> so, other things I don't like about the film. Mm-hmm. The music score, proper yeah. 80s saxes and that. They're, they're not using uh, Brian May that they did. Not that Brian May again, as I mentioned before. <laughs> uh, in the film, we've got uh, Morris Jarr. Uh, he was a big Hollywood composer. I mean, mm-hmm. it's great, but it ain't Mad Max. Yeah, um, I'm saying it's great, but you know. Well, not for this um, movie, but nah, it's beer. exactly. <laughs> um, one thing they did get right, they got some interesting looking extras. They did, yeah. There's a good cast, sort of, uh, of weirdos and eccentrics yeah, and things. Yeah, some of the some of the characters do fit the look of the series, really. Yeah. And uh, Pickle is a quite interesting character. He's he's the one who I mentioned him briefly before. He's he's basically been branded um, with that very phrase for the. For the simple fact that he kicked, he killed the pigs to, to feed, to his, feed family. his family, yeah. Um, and he's kind of got that branded on him as a result, and he's it held is. a prisoner in the sort of methane factory. Yeah. But he's he's the sort of wild-eyed, sort of crazy guy who helps like uh, Max at various points of the film, and he he's does, kind of yeah. glad to see him again at the end when he's, he comes back. He's a goodie. Um, Angry Anderson. Yeah. He's cool. It's <laughs> pretty he's, cool character. How would you? I mean, I'm just forgetting the name. What's the name of the character? It's Iron Bar or something like that. Iron isn't Bar. It? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you describe him other than Wiley Coyote? <laughs> he basically is a yeah. live action Wiley Coyote, isn't he? He's kind of like <laughs> um, Wes. Yes. In the second one, but mm. he's just a Chief bit more. Henchman, yeah, yeah. And, but he's he's just virtually. He's like he's got one or two lines, but uh, mm. yeah. I mean, Angry Anderson was, a, was again was a well, he's an Australian pop star. I think mm. he had quite a decent career in his native land in the day, but uh, he, in this one, he just gets just. Beat, they're just like beating up all the time and stuff, <laughs> pretty really. Much, yeah. Pretty much, but I that, mean, again, that's a tone of the film. It's a, it's a it lot is. more slapstick compared to yeah, it is like uh, the previous of, ones. Mm, I mean, it's the, the sort ones, of thing you would expect from like a Hollywood sort of action comedy, it, rather than Mad Max, which is yeah. just not all of those things at all. Um, the going going back to the sort of uh, final chase and the, and the ending. Uh-huh. Um, there's no, there's not really a very good explanation, or even a, an inferred explanation as to why at the end he lets Max go at the end. Mm. You know, there's it, you can make your assumptions, but there's nothing really clearly to say. You know, why did she just have this sort of change in heart and like let him live? It's just, I don't know. Well, I mean, you've got to think without giving too much away, what at the end he's after. Mm-hmm. Is gone, true, and she doesn't need. I the suppose there's no max. Yeah, there's no real reason, but exactly. I, but she yeah. has been shown shown to be pretty ruthless. In oh the yeah, past, just kind of killing people and using them as pawns in a game. Uh huh. Yeah, just seems a bit odd that she have this kind of uh, conscience emerging at the end of the movie. It does, but then again, in, in these sorts of films, you know that. But maybe well, by the, the time he got this far in in the series, you know you know he's going to walk away at the end. So well, true, but also maybe they just thought maybe we can't have Tina Turner condemning a man to his death. Well, yeah, <laughs> especially not Mel Gibson. <laughs> I haven't really talked much about Tina Turner in the film, but she's kind of uh, just there. Tina, yeah, just... Tina Turner plays Tina Turner. Uh, that's, yeah, there's not much more you can there's say. There's not much more you can say about that, is there? There's not really a great deal of um, sort of insight into a character given apart from she was a nobody in the wastelands who basically, by default, became somebody because she survived. Yeah. And she kind of says, you know, basically because I was alive, I gained a position of power and mm-hmm. managed to kind of... Uh... Big shoulder pads. Mm, indeed. Yeah. There's but... a lot of big shoulder pads in yeah, and uh-huh. the film is, it seems to be a post-apocalyptic punk um, sort of uh, mainstay. Definitely, and like <laughs> even half the Mohicans ain't Mohicans; they're just sort of yeah, wig, wiggy not, type not things. Not proper Mohawks, uh, are they? 
a lot of leather again, but yeah. It's a it's a really <laughs> flawed film, and it's not like it's, we've mentioned so many times, I guess, already, but it's it just doesn't feel like Mad Max in many ways. There are elements of it that do, mm-hmm. but but not everything. It's a I still enjoy it to a certain degree, but it's easily the least of the series. Oh, easily, and and you know, there's some people who really think it's the best movie, probably because they like more slickly produced films and like more Hollywoodized films. I, I just don't know. I can't understand that. No, I'm... neither can I. And it, even like big, you know, it's like some really big critics sort of like loved it. Like there wasn't. A, I'm sure that I read that Leonard Matlin it was his favorite of the series, but you know, what does he know? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, not get too much. Yeah, instance. I mean, the amount of films he's watched. He's <laughs> Maybe he's just. Uh, his, uh, his brain's been kind of irrevocably damaged by all the stuff he's watched. <laughs> he's gotten to uh, overload point, point of saturation where he's just like, ah, I'll give it four stars. I mean, all that really <laughs> says is just, I haven't even seen Fury Road yet, but the trailer's better than this film. Mm. So yeah. The trailer for it looks much more in line with the, the first and second yeah. film. It looks and like a hark back to the sort of grand excess of two mm-hmm. stunts, like mad explosions. Well, I wouldn't even see it excess, it's just bad... You know, strip, well, strip back sort of action. Well, it's yeah. if, in terms of the content, strip back, but the crazy sort of action in the second. Oh yeah, uh-huh. that's what I was, I was I mean, referring to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nah. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome for me, no. No, I would, I would, I would agree with you. It's, um, you know, elements of it I enjoyed watching, and I'm glad that we, you know, we rewatched the whole series in preparation for our for our next review. Um, but overall, no, no. <laughs> Thumbs down from us. Then. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Cheers. Okay, so we've finally made it to the last review for our Mad Max special, which is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, one of the most anticipated blockbusters for this summer. Probably my most anticipated film of the year. I would yeah. Say. Um, absolutely massive publicity campaign. Mm-hmm. I remember getting up on the morning, going to work, and every morning. Um, GMTV saying, oh, you've got to see this film. It's the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, surprisingly, for a summer blockbuster, it's 15 rated. Mm-hmm. Majority of them these, these uh, well, this year have been 12A. That's Jurassic Park, Tomorrowland, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Some have flown, some have fell. Uh, but I think Mad Max has pretty much done, yeah. done the business. And once again, it's helmed by good old George Miller. Yeah, it is. George Miller back, back, to, the, back to the director's chair. Um me and Craig saw it a few weeks ago now at the pitches, mm-hmm. just taking our time to get round to uh, actually recording this this pod about it. Uh, pl- plot summary, it's a very minimal plot. Um, basically, Max at the start of the film is captured by the war boys, who are the army for a Morton Joe. Uh, Max has basically turned into a blood bag because <laughs> uh, everybody seems to be irradiated in this definitely post-apocalyptic um, area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Max t- ends up escaping by fair means or foul um, when one of the Morton Joe's um, sort of lieutenants Furiosa start, decides to go on a detour with a, exactly. a precious cargo uh, like we say Max has been used as a blood bag and he makes his escape and then the film just unfolds from there indeed yeah and what a good film it was it certainly was absolutely um world building in this film is amazing I mean it conveys so much to the audience mm-hmm. without dialogue I mean of course there is dialogue in the movie but it, but the minimal way the story is communicated at times is really masterful yeah it, it just um, it sort of follows the, an old creative writing mantra of show don't tell yeah it's definitely it's all about the show yeah mm-hmm. I mean the, the sort of 
dialogue sparse. I mean, it's a good two-hour-long film. Mm-hmm. It's action-packed to the point of too much. Mm-hmm. If if that if there can be too much. Um, well, it's not numbing, though, is it? You know, it's, some people have said it is. Me personally, I, I loved every minute I think, of it. I think that um, there's a very specific type of action in some of blockbusters, mainly the kind of CGI overload films where you get an action scene that seems to repeat for 20 minutes, and mm-hmm. it's the same thing again and again. And for me, that becomes numbing, but the action in Fury Road is very creative. That's the And word, it's always yeah. giving you something very different in each mm-hmm. scene. And for me, that wasn't numb at all. I was excited and I was enthused all the time. And it was a bit adrenaline charging, really. I mean, really. it did keep topping itself. And it you, did. You, you're thinking, well, you can't top this and you mm. can't top that. And but then it, it did, did again. Yeah. Um, um, the action's very much in line with the carnage scene in the first and the second film, particularly the Road Warrior on Mad Max 2. Yeah, I mean, I suppose well, one, one of the big selling points for this film is, is sort of not so much the lack of the CGI, just the way the CGI is being used is to, Very to, to make yeah to make to the, enhance, enhance the stunts. What's already there? I mean, obviously, desert storms you can't just conjure up with desert storm, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, everything's sort of live for one of yeah, them. I mean, exactly. There's a few bits of CGI there which you can tell, and there's but, some risky stunts, just like yeah. we discussed in the earlier films. You know, there's there's some re- people really putting themselves mm-hmm. in harm's way. Um, it is very much like uh, Mad Max Two, but just beefed up. You know, like um, beefed up and then some, yeah. yeah. On, on steroids. Mad Max Two on steroids or yeah. Mad Max Two burning night row. <laughs> yeah, one or the other. But there's so much attention to detail in this film. The world looks just so sort of lived pr- in. It's... Production design is awesome. Mm. Uh, it's really good. It's uh, they've taken the time. I mean, it's, this film's been announced on and off for years. It has. And I mean, I think first when I first heard of it and the title was announced, it was something like 2000. And, 11 or something like that yeah but it's been, there, it's been talked about a long time before that yeah, that this wouldn't be a sequel absolutely but it, the the um, the envisaged it at one point as an animated film and then the uh they talked about like filming two back to back and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff in it and george miller was talking about it um for the for, for quite a few years before it's actually um appeared um and it's like i say it's my most anticipated movie yeah, i've been very excited about it and it looked, thankfully it didn't let us down did no it? no we're both walked out the pictures stunned we did um, um, some, some great new characters in this film. Yeah, so you've got Nicholas Holt's character um, of the war boy. Um, what's he Nux. called again? Nux, yeah. Yes. We've got Charlize Theron as uh, Furiosa, Furiosa, who basically is the centre of the film. Mm-hmm. Mad Max is, is in the film all the way through it, but it's not about he him. He takes a second seat to their story. Yeah, absolutely. Because this cargo that she's trying to deliver is key to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and and basically, you know, it's it's kind of more about her her sort of quest, her character arc and story arc. Yeah, definitely. And we were going to talk about the, um, the chronology of the film, because that's very important. It is. Where does it fit in with the other movies, or does it fit in at all? And I would say that it doesn't. Uh, to me, it's a deliberate attempt at a reboot. Although Miller himself, um, it says he doesn't really worry about sort of timelines and chronology, and it's simply another story that takes place in Max's world. But to me, that's a very good way of avoiding the question. It I is, would say. Yeah. It can't be the same continuity because there's some things clearly outlined in this film to show that it it's starting again, basically. Yeah. I mean, the original film was set seemingly um, pre-apocalypse when the world was on its last legs, mm-hmm. uh, but before the bombs mentioned in Mad Max 2 had dropped. Yeah. But they don't go back to his role in the MFP. It's still post-apocalypse in this film, but it can't be the same Max to me. No. I mean, um, his character's too different. There's more of a deliberate attempt to make him look a lot, a lot more crazy than he was in the original yeah. series. I mean, he uh-huh. has visions of the people he failed to save. Yes. Who died. 
and you see this little girl kind of taunting him, saying, "You couldn't save me." So yeah, my reading of it is sort of more sort of as is the modern parlance is mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, you know, he's been through exactly. it and he's, he can't oh, shake yes. it. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Um, um, and also, there's the appearance of the interceptor. Yeah, everybody loves the interceptor. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, the interceptor, as we mentioned in the Mad Max Two review, is destroyed. Um, it turns up in a worse state than it was during the second film. Uh-huh. As in more which, battered, yeah. Yeah, which is the movie it was destroyed in, and it's destroyed again in this it one. Is, yeah. So it doesn't really make sense unless uh-huh. it's a new time. And it is a bit of a rolling joke through the film that, oh, mm. that's my car. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it does get knocked, knocked about at the start, rebuilt by the uh, war boys, and then it keeps sort of like, keeps popping up when the, when the chases yeah. start. But uh, Exactly. I mean, on that subject of, of sort of in-jokes and things that reoccur, and there's mm-hmm. loads of nods back to the original oh, films. Is. I mean, we've got a bit of a list here. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the speed, it's the sped-up shots. Yes, which is pretty much right from the beginning where the war boys are pursuing Max and they're running after him. And yeah. even, it's not even a car scene. And even mm-hmm. that's, that's that's a, yeah, on, on the foot chase. Because it was generally only the vehicle stuff that was sped up originally, sped up, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, got the classic eyeball pop yeah. from the original Mad mm-hmm. Max film. And I think it's... Do you think it's the same shot or have they redone it? Uh, to me, it, it looked like the same shot. It looked shot. like yeah. they'd actually just lifted just the lift, footage. Yeah, just dropped it in. Yeah, which yeah. is just classic. Uh, we've got the little hurdy-gurdy, the little toy that uh-huh. the, the feral the kid has in, kind of mechanism yeah, thing. in Mad Max 2. We've got the sawn-off shotgun makes an mm-hmm. appearance. That's uh, right. We've mentioned the car. Um, we've also got the, the sort of little handheld crossbows mm-hmm. that they use in, in the second one as well. There's probably loads of other things. Not really a reference, notice. but keeping in line with the other ones is that in Mad Max Two and Thunderdome, he has a kind of deranged companion, doesn't he? And like the uh, in in Two, he has um, the gyro captain. In Three, Pig Killer, not a companion, but somebody who helps mm-hmm. and, hel- and helps him sort of. Uh, you know, in key moments of the story. So, so Nooks would kind of yeah. be the, the one who Nicholas sort of fits Holt's in there. Yeah. yeah. So, um, sorry, carry on. No, you what I was going to say, say, I mean, so, there's lots of good points. Mm-hmm. A few bad points, do you think? What didn't hold hold together for you? I don't know, it's... Um, See, just when we mentioned Nooks there, I was thinking about his character arc, yes, where he does sort of go right. from... Well, not so much baddie, but just doing what he does. That was really one of my only real around. criticisms with the film, is it does seem like quite a drastic turnaround in some ways. I mean, yes, you see him grow as a character during the film. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely changes in quite a natural way for a portion of the film. But then he does something really kind of like good and heroic. Yeah. And it's maybe a bit too much. Uh-huh. Like he's, he's definitely changed a lot in the course yeah, of yeah. his actions, and you can see how he naturally changes. But it's gradual, but gradual, maybe, gradual, then it's bang. It's maybe about the scene near the end is a bit... Yeah. Too too much possibly. Uh-huh. But but the um the war boys and Nooks in general are really an interesting group of sort of characters, you know. Mm-hmm. They're like they have this whole kind of culture that's almost like a sort of kamikaze culture of mm-hmm. like blood and chrome. Yeah. And uh, Morton Joe's a really good villain. I mean he's we should mention a Morton Joe played by mm-hmm. Hugh Keysburn from the original film. Who played Tokutter, yeah. yeah. It's, um, he wears a mask for a great part, well, the whole yeah. film. Because he's got a bit of a Darth Vader thing going on, hasn't he? He's yeah, got a you life see the scene system. where he's got some sort of, um, yeah, exactly, and he puts the mask on. But when you see him donning the mask, you don't even see his full face then. No. But he, he don't have, obviously he has changed anyway, so they wouldn't have even needed the mask to make him look different. No, no. But the mask is very effective. It does look very sort of threatening. And the War Boys um, kind of imagery is all to do with death, and the skull is the kind of logo, if you like. Every one of the steering wheels that um, that the cars have has a skull on it, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously a Martin Joe's face is at the skull. But the um, they also have this kind of drug um, that they basically spray on the mouths to get them kind of pumped up mm-hmm. and sort of you know like ready to die for a Martin Joe. And it 
These aerosol sp- speed. Yeah, it <laughs> kind of sprays aerosol speed in the mouth and it gives them a chrome sort of skull mouth. Yeah. It makes the lips all sort of uh, skull-like. Yeah. And that kind of seems to fit in with the whole theme of like, you know, sort of kamikaze death warriors that are willing to die for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because Martin Joe is not the most physically imposing character, is he? You know what oh, I mean? Well, no, I mean, he's, 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 no, old, he's an old fella he's in an this. He's an old dude but he's, he's basically got like a bit of a gut in that. He's he, not he's, like, physically oh, yeah. imposing. He's the, he's the warlord, though. He's, he's, he's exactly. the chief. I mean, it seems in this film there's, there's different sort of towns. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's responsible for bullets, one's responsible for gas. I and think... He, and gathers hit, them all together as yeah. like a group of assassins like working for him to, mm-hmm. to get like Max and, and Furiosa so in the cargo. They all trade with each other, but Morton Joe seems to be the mm-hmm. man because he's, he's in, in, in control of the water, isn't he? Yeah. Where they live is the Citadel, and that's that's where everybody's there waiting to sort of for him to sort of give them the water. And, and he's kind of like, like this messiah-like figure, isn't he? Exactly, delivering, yeah. delivering the water to them, and yeah. they all respect him a great deal, and obviously, like I say, they're willing to die for him. And it's, mm-hmm. there's almost a kind of... Um, Almost kind of religious fever around them, isn't there? Like they're all they're they're all sort of ready to like just lay down their lives for him. Yeah, oh yeah, especially when it comes to the uh, the war boys. Yeah, yeah, that's that's more what I was referring to. Like so the... what it is, I mean, the, the the chase part of the film is all on the fact that uh, Furiosa has sort of stolen a Morton Joe's um, breeding stock. Exactly. All these some basically supermodels, really. Aren't yeah, they? his his brides. His brides. So yeah. So it's all very. I mean, that's quite in. A lot of post-apocalypse films have that mm. sort of a theme running through yeah, it, you know, sort, sort of, of slavery. And yeah, because all his sons seem to be sort of because of the fallout of all got sort of a bit like Hills of Eyes. The remake mm. of the Hills of Eyes have all sort of got um, various of defects, yeah, sickness, sickness, and, and things like that. And so the war boys caught the half lives, the half lives, don't they? Yeah. They say, um, so there's lots of nods to the actual bomb mm-hmm. in this one, and which is why Mad Max is wired up to Nux as a is basically it, like a blood bag, like yeah, it's a blood system. transfusion, yeah. And he's kind of uh, on this mounted device on the front of the car with a wire going to. So if you've seen the trailer and you see a bit where Mad Max is on the front of a car with a mask, with a mask on. on it, that's when he's a blood bag, basically. So I'm not <laughs> giving too much away that. there. Tom Hardy, what do you think of Tom Hardy? Well, he's pretty, um, he's pretty sort of stoic in this in this film. You know, he doesn't he doesn't have loads of dialogue. He's kind of, uh, you know. He doesn't make a huge impression, I wouldn't say. No. And he's, he's always been a good actor, and he's definitely good in this. Do you think he makes a good action hero? Yeah. Yeah? I definitely. But, I mean, his actions are definitely a lot more than his words in this film. Yeah, mm-hmm. He has some pretty good action scenes and stuff, but he doesn't really say a great deal. And like we said, Furiosa is, feels a bit more the main character. He's there to sort of uh, help. Uh, a bit like the way he helps out in Mad Max too. He's like the hired exactly. hand, isn't he? Yeah. But he's not... Yeah, he's not sort of front and centre really. Much the, the he is, but he isn't. One. Yeah. In this one, he's more of a sort of, uh, I suppose, like kind of additional muscle. And he's a facilitator. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just getting back to Tom Hardy, though. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing I've got written down here is that his voice again. Mm. It's a bit like going through yeah. Bane. I think mm-hmm. like maybe he's, I don't it's know. I can't, I can't think of a film where I've heard his real voice. It's yeah. A, I mean, he does lap. He laps into Bronson at one point. If you've ever seen the movie Bronson, mm. a Nicholas Wine and Refn film that he made. Quite a few years ago, which I think is an awesome film, but um, he does actually he pulls that out at the end. He pulls out his Bronson voice, and it's just like, no, don't, yeah. and that sort of pulls you out of the it does film a, a bit. bit. It does a little bit, and I think that um, you know he's definitely he definitely makes a good action hero, um, but he's not like overwhelmingly brilliant in this. You mm-hmm. know, he's he's but but don't get us wrong. I mean, you know, he, he plays the, he plays the part well enough, and there's just so much more than Max himself in this movie. Really, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like it's such a sort of it, there's something coming at you every two seconds that's like that's really interesting, both in terms of 
story and the sort of overall mythology and look of the film uh-huh. as well as action yeah um and it's just uh pretty kind of um in your face yeah i mean so we're speaking of in your face it's just like the other George uh, Miller films in the Mad Max series, that, that there's violence there, but it's not sort of explicit. No, that's a good a lot of it's implied, as mm. as George Miller himself has said all along, even with his medical background, he's not about showing true violence. There are violent mm. parts in the film, and some of it is because it's all in your head, really. It's quite nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, but I won't say why he got the 15, but it's, it's few and far apart, but it's whoa, yeah. it's quite strong in, in some of the, the things that happen. The strongest moment of gore isn't even really shown properly. Um, you know, it's, it's no, a no, quick it's cut, not. But and it's it's, it's really what's brutally violent. Yeah. But, um, but you don't. If you'd seen it cleanly and in full sort of uh, view, it would oh, be really nasty. Really nasty. Yeah. But, but it sort of cuts away from it very quickly, which is a good thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what makes that show somebody who's very confident in his storytelling. Um, Absolutely. He doesn't and have he to does show a, it all. He does a very very good job. But with it's this. the action, the action scenes, the, some of the stunts are just fantastic. Oh, this world and the vehicles in it. The man. vehicles are great. Yeah. Like the Cadillac tank hybrid yeah <laughs> and then the guys on the poles they've got yes. these guys called i think pole cats or something they're sort of on these sort of 50 foot high poles swinging about on the backs and of they, these cars they leap on the cars to plant explosives yeah. and sort of spear people and stuff and all sorts it's fantastic i mean it's it's a, such a it is such a spectacle overall i mean I usually uh, a lot of times when i've walked out of a movie and say oh i'm gonna buy that on dvd blu-ray vhs whatever it was at the time uh and i think that's Firmly saved, sort of so far this year. Well, yeah, I'll probably hang on from. I'm sure it'll be out by the time my birthday comes around later on in the year. Immediately, um, I was like, "Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's on the list." And I was a bit nervous before I went to see the film. I love the series so much, you know. I even have a soft spot for Thunderdome for all its flaws. Mm-hmm. I was really nervous about thinking, "What if they mess it up?" I, I mean, really, I was trying to dodge reviews and things I like was. that and not get caught I up read in a little hype. bit but I didn't really uh, read a great deal um, and I don't in general for when I'm going to see a cinema race I just think what's the point you know make your own mind up and don't be influenced by others but but big studio films these days get so hyped up and they do nine times out of ten they let you down and sequelitis is like uh, really like massive at the moment mm-hmm. so all, all the big films this year are like summer blockbusters you know uh, sorry, sorry all the summer blockbusters are sequels rather yeah um and you know there's so many there's so many series that set out to be a series from the very beginning and they're like franchises and kind of milk it's cynical yeah. it is it is very cynical and um it's very easy to be cynical about a film like this. the last one was in the 80s well 30 <laughs> 30 years yeah mm, just about yeah. Uh, since and so it's it's dead in the water it means nothing to 12 year olds and 15 year olds now mm-hmm. unless they sort of dig around uh you know old films and stuff like that so that's why you know, it's got no real links mm-hmm. to the other other films in the series. I can say why they did that, but they've just done such a good job of it. Uh, heartily recommended by Mr. Macbeth here. Indeed, <laughs> and by that, <laughs> and by me too. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's just one of those films that you really leave the cinema just going wow. Yeah, and uh, it's wa- definitely a theatrical experience, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, um, big, somebody I know went to see an IMAX, possible. yeah, and said it was absolutely fantastic. Imagine, imagine going to see one of those four D screens where the seats move. <laughs> you feel like you'd had broken ribs. Yeah, you would have broken back, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So yes, Fury Road, highest, highest recommendation. And just on the subject of IMAX, there we dodged the IMAX showing at uh, our local IMAX because our local IMAX is a Minimax. So <laughs> we saw we did see it on the biggest <laughs> screen possible. Like yeah, uh, not quite the full deal, so we'd have to go to Glasgow or Manchester to see it properly. Um, but yeah, 
definitely, definitely, definitely mm. good film. Highest recommendation from us. It's definitely, yeah. So that brings our Mad Max special to a close. I'll just say definitely again. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a Mad Max special done. And uh, uh, we hope you'll join us for, for more video drawn in the future. Cool.